finally the teams who were favored in the Pac-12 won in week seven. It was an absolutely great weekend for the conference, but we got some issues going on. First of all, of course, we're going to do the Pac-12 power rankings, but why on earth is a top 15 matchup on Pac-12 Network instead of on ESPN? Also, why are the players in the Pac-12 footprint leaving the conference to go to other conferences? We're going to talk to Woody Womack about that. He is the Southeast recruiting analyst for Rivals and Yahoo Sports. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amson, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. It was a good weekend, the Pac-12, man. The the underdogs finally stopped winning and destroying everything that the Pac-12 has going on. Of course, we got Ralph Amsden, and we want to welcome friend of the show, Woody Womack. What's up, Woody? Hey, George. Great to be here. But one of the few people in the South that actually watches the Pac-12, so I'm honored to uh, be on the show to talk about it. Dude, it is absolutely outrageous to me because I went on uh, Stadium and Gale, the Florida Gators podcast, and they get to just spewing, you know, party lines about the Pac-12 because they clearly don't watch it. They're like, nobody plays defense in the Pac-12. It sucks. Everybody's terrible. I'm just like, have you watched SEC football? Only the top teams are really good. Yeah, I mean, you know, Vanderbilt lost to, to UNLV the other day, and it's just—it's been a trend of the team, especially the bottom quarter of the league. I mean, Arkansas lost to San Jose State, and then uh, Tennessee, of course, <laughs> lost to BYU and Georgia State. So they've got their shares of losses, but they don't—they don't claim those teams. They just want the, the teams at the top start the season ranked high. They only lose to each other. They stay ranked high. It's a pretty foolproof system. But the Pac-12's got to figure that out. I got to jump in here and go ahead and give our weekly two middle fingers up to BYU uh, for continuing <laughs> to lose games uh, after beating Tennessee and USC. And, and I think, what, they're like two and four now or something. Uh, they look terrible, and it's embarrassing everyone involved. Yeah, USF is one of the worst teams in the country, so that's a, that's a really bad loss for them. I don't know how I – I guess they're having quarterback issues, but, yeah, that's a bad one. Woody, Woody, so you mentioned something about the conference in general, like that that how these schedules are set up, and I hate them. Like I hate the way the SEC sets up a schedule with eight power with with their eight conference games, three terrible non-conference games, and then their one mandatory power five game. But then you get teams like you know Alabama this year who scheduled Duke, and last year Georgia only had Georgia Tech and. It is a foolproof system because they don't count the teams at the bottom and they just put and they're only judged against themselves and maybe one or two non-conference games all year. Like it, it, do people in the South realize that this is a racket? No, they don't really because they they're they've convinced that the the conference is so hard. And I mean it is for a team like if you look at like Texas AM schedule this year, it's insane. They're played Clemson, uh and they have a ridiculous schedule. But yeah, most of the people here are tow that company line and even even a team like Tennessee they're not even they're playing a power five team this year they're playing BYU which I guess they're counting as one but uh it's pretty crazy to think that a team that that plays eight conference games then also is going to play all you know non-power five opponents but yeah they, they don't see it that way they view it as 
hey, it's a gauntlet every week. You know, they if if a team from wherever was here, they'd have four or five losses. And it's like it's this it's the same thing every year. When really, when you look at you know Alabama's schedule, it's it really comes down to LSU and uh, and Auburn and getting to that to the title game. And usually the same for Georgia, except Florida is I think is surprising us all with how good they've been. Well, this year. why do okay? So only two Power Five conferences have records that are above 509 conference play against the other power five conferences. That's the big 12 that's six and four. The PAC 12 is five and three. The SEC is five and five, big 10, four and five. And the ACC, which everybody regards as horrendous this year is three and six. So what do, what, what do you think the PAC 12 has to do to, I guess, change that perception nationally? Well, I besides mean, stop scheduling Mountain West teams that beat us every time. <laughs> right. The, see, that's where they mess up. Like you don't see the you don't see any teams from the SEC playing UCF. And I mean that's the that's the equivalent. The Mountain West is to the Pac twelve what the AAC is to the to the SEC and ACC. And usually the ACC teams that that play them end up regretting it. Because they're know, difficult playing games. the Cincinnati's and Temples of the world. Um Right. I mean, look at Temple's good every single year. They have a good defense. It seems like now, and you, and you go look at the, go look at the AAC standings. I mean, you know, Tulane played Auburn really tough. Um, Cincinnati got killed by Ohio state, but I mean, the rest of them, they're, they're, you know, Memphis beat Ole Miss. Like that's the thing. Like, and, and like Ralph said, I mean, playing San Diego state every year is hard. And it's not like Back in the day, Georgia, I remember I seemed like when you were yeah. in college, you guys would play Fresno State every year or whatever. Um, and, and those games, like I, they, I, I know you you have to have somebody of, of talent on the roster but or on the schedule, but every year, if, if you're a bottom-feeding Pac-12 team, I'd be avoiding those games like the plague. I'd, I'd, I'd be like, sure, we'll play San Jose State, but we're not playing or you boy, know, BYU or, or, or San Diego State or Fresno State well, every year. Shoot! Wait, Missouri. Missouri is five and one, and they decided it'd be a good idea to go to Laramie. And right now, their only loss is that one playing at seventy two hundred feet. Yeah, that was a cra- that was one of those games. And the same Purdue went out and lost to Nevada. I'm like, who <laughs> who at Purdue said, "Yeah, let's do a home and home with Nevada"? I would have told them it was a bad right. idea. What? And, and I don't think Nevada is even good. But once I saw the game on the schedule, I was like, "That's." That's probably an L for them because that's a tough place to play to to go there uh, at somewhat elevation and play a, a team like that or being that far from home. So uh, I think Ralph has a point there with the schedule. Like I think like they need those wins over like I like Oregon playing Auburn and they should have won that game. And George and I did a podcast right after that. If they would have won that for game sure. right now, they'd be probably in the top five. And th- those are the games they need to keep playing and, and winning. And Washington was right there with Auburn last year. So to get over the hump, they need that. And they need USC to be, you know, of consequence because w- when USC's not good uh, or Oregon's not dominant, I just don't think the rest of the conference uh, is going to get the respect uh, that they need. I don't understand. So we, we all watched the USC-Notre Dame game. And USC clearly has talent, and I am I. It is beyond me because when you when you look at the recruiting class numbers, because you've you go over this year after year after year, and USC has talent. They they have like 48, 47 or forty eight four and five star players on their team, which competes with everybody except Alabama and Georgia, pretty pretty much. They, I mean, they had the number one class four years ago, and usually that's an indicator of success. 
Yeah, I, I actually, I honestly thought they were going to win that. But going in, uh, I easily thought they were going to cover, and I, I thought they had a chance to too. win just because of the athletes they have, especially at wide receiver. Um, but they're just, they're just missing a few things, and I, the coaching situation, the fact that they've let it get to this point, is kind of ridiculous, if you ask me. I, I, I'm not saying they should fire uh, Clay Helton right now in the middle of the season, but the constant uncertainty hanging over him has killed them in recruiting. And it's, you know, that's, I think it's one of the reasons I know you want to talk about it, but it's one of the reasons the guys have, have started to leave to go elsewhere because there's not a stable situation at USC. And, and that's why it's kind of opened the doors to these SEC schools to come recruit California. Well, the, the a player who has recently done that, the well, most notably was Bryce Young, who the modern day quarterback, he was committed to. Uh, USC, and then he flipped his commitment to go to Alabama, and we've and we've seen like some of the top talent in the Pac-12 footprint leave to go elsewhere. Like pe- people uh, su- suspect the cornerback from Arizona, Keely Keely Ringo, that they think he'll leave. They think that just Justin Flo, who is outstanding, the uh, the linebacker from from Upland, they think that he's going to leave the Pac the Pac-12. What since you talk to so many kid, kids and you uh nationally like what is the perception of the conference and of the football and why they're leaving not just and just not just going to USC. Yeah, I think the the thing that with Bryce, I think Bryce wanted to go to USC, but it became apparent to him that the the path to the field might be a little bit different with the way the quarterbacks have emerged. I mean, once Daniels went down, that's when the rumors really ramped up that it was like, hey, he's going to redshirt this year. Uh, instead of being a junior, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore. And, and I think Bryce had hoped, like, let me come in and sit a year and then, and then win the job. Um, and then when Slovis started playing well, it was like, okay, now it's a, a double whammy. Alabama's been dying to get him, and I, I'm pretty sure they're telling him, you can come in and compete for the job year one. Uh, and we've had freshmen be successful before. So he bought into that. But I just think the overall selling point is, you know, these guys want to be, the kids want to be in the best environment to a, you know, get to the NFL. That's always the number one goal. Uh, And and the coaches in the South have convinced them that that's the way to go, which I I find it. (laughs) I, I think that's kind of untrue, especially considering if you look at some guys from the South that have gone to the PAC 12, They've had like, like, you know, for example, Utah's running back, Zach Moss. I mean, Miami told him they didn't have a spot for him. And now look how well he's done in the Pac-12. He's going to be a, a, you know, a top three round draft pick. Uh, Ugo Amadi, a guy that played at Oregon that, that LSU and Tennessee told him they didn't have a spot for him. And now he's playing for the Seahawks was a fourth round pick. So, I mean, there are a lot of guys like that, that have, that have done it on their own and, and gone the other way from the South up there. But and that's why I think you've seen some guys who have left the West Coast, they end up coming back, like, you know, Chris Steele, you mentioned. But, I mean, it's hard, no matter where you live, if Clemson comes calling to to turn them down. I mean, back in the day when USC was that school, they were going to Florida and getting guys like Leonard Williams and players like that to come out there because, hey, I want to win championships, I want to go to the NFL, so... It's just one of those things. It's it's kind of cyclical, and I know it seems like we've never seen guys from the West Coast leave like this before, but it's it's happened in the past, and, and maybe not to this extent. But once there's a dominant team or two teams out there that, that can consistently win, I think you'll see it kind of reverse course. 
Well, quarterbacks, I'm not so worried about because it feels like they're, and I don't want to say dime a dozen because they're all pretty good. I mean, you have just, I mean, just Arizona alone, and Arizona isn't, we're not even close yet to being on like Ohio or Georgia's level as far as recruiting, but Michigan has an Arizona quarterback commit. Ohio State has an Arizona quarterback commit. Oklahoma has an Arizona quarterback. Uh, Purdue started one yesterday. Iowa State started one yesterday. Virginia started one on Friday. Like, there, there are, uh, Keaton Slovis is an Arizona kid, so like, the, the, and then California's full of quarterbacks as well. What I worry about, and this is one thing that I think you and I talked about at a 2018 Rivals camp in, in L.A., was just like there's not a lot of linemen out here to begin with, quality linemen. And so when the good ones leave, that's, I think that creates more of an issue than any of the other position groups. Yeah, there's there's no I mean, the lineman situation is is terrible and there's no other way to put it. I mean, there there are guys that can grow and develop into quality players. There are just not the plug and play type guys, the 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 day one type guys. I mean, we were talking before we started about uh about UCLA and I remember at the at the five star challenge, which is our elite event we have every year, was Jalen Phillips was a senior. And he, he finished as a five-star and was one of the top, I think 24-7 might have ranked him number one overall, if I remember right. Uh, anyway, he, he was going against Cade Mays, who's now at Georgia, who's from Tennessee. And he, he was a, an underclassman at the time. And I remember Cade Mays just picking up Jalen Phillips, and just throwing him into the ground. And Jalen Phillips was like fighting back tears. He was like, he keeps pushing me to the ground. <laughs> and, and I was like... What I mean, this I went to Adam Gorney who covers the West Coast for us, and I was like, this dude is crying because a kid, an underclassman, is tossing him around. And you guys are telling me this is the number one player in the country. Get this kid out of here. You know what I mean? So I, I just think that like the, the the bodies aren't there. I mean, you know, I played high school football in Oregon, and I was one of the biggest dudes, and I'm like six feet tall. You know, I was like six foot two sixty five. You know, and I was like considered myself to be a mauler there just aren't bodies like that out there so like i i know this is weird but how much of it do you think is the west coast attitude health healthy eating eating better trying to trying to stay fit how much of it do you think is of that where in in the south i'm from the south i was born in memphis i've lived in jacksonville all of that stuff the uh, diet is different how they feel about bigness is different, size, all of that. So I think that's why you get more, you know, 300 plus pounders in high school and you get more trim, agile linemen out on the West Coast. Yeah, it's true. I, I totally agree with that. And I mean, go walk around any any SEC campus and take a look at the couples that you see pairing up. I mean, there are, there are some beautiful <laughs> women with some ugly dudes, you know, including myself uh, here in Atlanta. So, I mean, you know, it's it's crazy. It's a different type of mindset. And uh, in, in the same, you know, Florida's, I think the Florida schools right now are having a similar issue. There are not as many good offensive linemen in Florida anymore. And you're seeing it at the at the big three, especially at, you know, Florida State and Miami. Miami's having, look, their offensive line is brutal. Um so it's a common issue. I, I did hear, you know, and we know Oregon's offensive line has, has obviously been a, it, you know, vastly improved under Cristobal. I heard a, someone talk about how his strategy to go into Utah and get guys is because it's the closest 
they can find to, you know, the SEC where SEC footprint where there's all these big bodies that are readily available. Oh, you have out of polys. Yeah, you have out of Polynesian cats. Right, exactly. You have, he's you have out of Usos, yeah. Right. He's made that a priority and it makes sense. I mean, I remember back in the day, uh my friend when my friend Brent Haberly was playing uh for for Oregon, he lived in a house and it was like him and like I think Haloti Nada lived there and like Anoka Lucas and a bunch of other big Polynesian dudes. Yeah. And I remember, men. I remember it was like eight of them in one house. And I was like, man, these are the, the biggest dudes I've ever seen in my life. You know, now down here I see them all the time. But at that time in like oh five or whenever that was, I was not used to to that. So I like that strategy. And you you're seeing Alabama dip into Utah, target some guys and get some guys. Uh, too. So, and, and even LSU, LSU got a huge defensive tackle out of there last year. So I think that's the key. If you're, if you're these PAC 12 schools, you got to make Utah and the Polynesian communities specifically, whether it's in Utah, Hawaii, or, or American Samoa or whatever, you gotta, you gotta find those bodies because there are always players to be found. Uh, I can't believe how under-recruited Hawaii continues to be. I mean, I, I was going on and on about uh, Jaden Delora, the quarterback from St. Louis, I saw him in the spring and I, I must've told every college coach that asked me about quarterbacks and, and everyone said, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at him. We'll cut up the film. Well, next thing you know, he commits, he just committed to Washington state. They offered, he committed almost immediately. And, you know, I think Mike Leach, you know, say what you want about him, but he has a way of finding quarterbacks. I think the kid's going to be great there. So, so we get, no, no, go on Ralph. So I have a question because it's been about 23 months since Herm Edwards was brought into uh, Arizona State amongst, uh, you know, uh, uh, much, uh, uh, what is the difference, uh, anti-fanfare? <laughs> People were not too happy about it. But Herm Edwards came in and he set some hard and fast rules that seemed to sort of exclude each other. He said, number one, uh, we're only recruiting our footprint. We're going to go California, Las Vegas, a little bit of Texas, all of Arizona. We're going to go hard at that. And then he said, we need minimum height and weight requirements for all of our positions. And six months go by, and all of a sudden, guess what? Herm Edwards, Antonio Pierce, everybody, they're all out in Georgia, Louisiana, Florida, and they've been pulling players from there. But my question to you, Woody, since you rate a lot of these players, and and a lot of it, it does come down to what their potential will be based on a, a, a frame that's sort of already out there uh, and set by you know NFL teams. Is it easier for some of these coaches just to go out and get a big piece of clay and shape it versus recruiting some of these guys who may be a little bit undersized, but they're they're proving it through their play. Like the, the proof is in the film. Yeah, the, uh, coaches, are, and I'm sure George can back this up, coaches are just so afraid to like really go outside the mold. They're almost like scared. It's like they'd rather fail by playing it safe, a, a lot of guys, would, than taking chances. And, and that's why some guys who are, you know, outside the box thinkers or used to be like Chip Kelly – you know, he was taking small guys or taking guys who played different positions and moving them and had so much success at Oregon. And, and I mean, I, I do interviews all the time. Like I did one with the, the newspaper in uh, Minneapolis, the Star Tribune about their quarterback, Tanner Morgan. And you go back and you look at his profile when he was in high school and it's like a bunch of us putting him on top performers lists or giving him an award at camp. And then a bunch of articles about him throwing well at schools, but nobody offered him. Louisville didn't offer him. Kentucky didn't offer him. And she's like, well, why didn't they? And I was like, well, the kid was six feet tall and they were worried he was too short. And the same goes for Gardner Minshew. I mean, Gardner Minshew came to our camp as an underclassman, 
He won the overall quarterback MVP at the camp he was at. He went to Mississippi State. He won the, the camp award there, and nobody offered the kid. So it's the same thing. Oh, he's too small. He's too short or whatever. So coaches just – they find it hard to, to think outside the box and, and really take a chance because – Look, at least if you fail with a dude who, uh, with a with a six four wide receiver, who who doesn't turn out to be anything, and say, oh well, he he had all the tools, the light just didn't come on for the kid. But if you if you take a five ten kid, who then doesn't pan out, it's like, well, why'd you waste scholarships on on guys like that who you knew couldn't play? So, it's it's a crazy line of thinking, but I mean, it's the way football has worked forever, and that's why you see some disruptors having a lot of success and and because they're willing to to roll the dice. I'm always curious about now recruiting because it seems like Woody that that recruiting is now not just well that recruiting seems to be greater than the coaching up of the players. So like coaches get jobs now because they're great recruiters even though they may not be as great at coaching their put positions so like how much does youth because we talked about on the podcast the other day about how ucla's coaches are extremely old like com- comparatively to some of the other staffs and some of the sec coordinators are old like how do you think that youth factors into recruiting i you know i think it's a big deal that's that was one of the biggest reasons that that i think you saw the oregon era end so abruptly because you had guys who had been great coaches forever and the way things happened changed so fast and they couldn't adapt. They couldn't, they couldn't recruit, you know, you'll see these schools that have these rules. It's like, Oh, if they visit anywhere else, that's it. We're not taking them. It's like, okay, well, enjoy not getting any good players then, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just not the way it works anymore. Uh, and I, I think the, the, I just remember several examples. I mean, like, Eno Benjamin, who's the running back at Arizona state, Iowa, told him, forget it, you don't have a spot because he wanted to take other visits. Imagine that dude on, you know, he's amazing in the Pac-12, obviously. Imagine if Iowa had him on their team right now um, and with that, you know, allegedly good <laughs> Yes, allegedly. They can't score a point, so how good is your offensive line, really? <laughs> right. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, why are you making a rule like that if you're Iowa? You know, we, we took a lot of flack at the time. We made fun of him on, on my podcast, but – uh, I think the older coaches have a hard time. Now, what some of them do, the guys that are the great X's and O's guys, they'll put them at the coordinator spot, and then they'll make the special teams coach or the tight ends coach. Their whole job is basically to recruit. It's not to to do a whole lot when it comes to game plan preparation. I mean, those guys are out recruiting. And it used to be just one guy uh, that would do that. You know, you you the names. If you go back and look historically, there have been there have been plenty of them you can find who've maybe gotten in trouble or whatever along the way. Uh, but now that's that's what the SEC schools do. I mean, they got a tight ends coach, they got a special teams coach who just is like, no matter which position, they'll be like, oh man, the this five star linebacker says he loves <laughs> the tight ends coach, and you're like, why? Why? Do they? Well, it's because it's some 32 year old guy who's texting him all the time and and keeping in touch so i think that you have to have a balance i mean you know it's tough the ucla situation is is very odd i think we're all kind of confused by it but there's no doubt that their recruiting strategy is is not successful at this point and 
I think one of the things that we don't talk about enough is we got to remember that you know when Oregon was was successful and Chip Kelly was there, he was also dealing with some shady characters <laughs> that ended up getting him in trouble. And I don't think he has those relationships uh, anymore. And I think that may be explain the lack of players uh, that they've been able to recruit. I know that maybe George doesn't want to admit it, but Oregon's got one of those guys right now, and maybe he's doing a little bit more coaching than Dante he did Williams. previous stops. I knew you were going to say Dante Williams. That. I knew yeah, you were going to say it. Up. He's a great coach, man. I will not have the slander. He's <laughs> oh, he's one of two coaches that are, that have blocked me on Twitter, and it was just for pointing out the fact that, like, hey, man, wherever he goes, the recruits follow. Now he, he is a great recruiter, but I remember when he was at Nebraska. Uh, I was at, he came to like the satellite camp and I do remember him working with uh, Christian Tut, who's now one of the guys who plays at Auburn uh, as, a, as a DB. And I do remember like the kid really liked him, you know, and viewed him as a good coach. Um, I don't know. He didn't recruit. The, the thing about him is, you know, the Oregon's starting corners, he didn't recruit them and he didn't recruit Javon Holland either. No, he? no, I don't I, think he I, recruited Holland. So, so his guys, I think his guys aren't really playing yet. So I guess maybe McKinley is. I think yeah. that might be one of his guys. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when it's all his players necessarily. But uh, yeah, there there are guys like that. The, the you know I don't want to <laughs> start naming names at every school. <laughs> uh, and I don't know the guys I'm talking about. Maybe do even do less coaching than even uh, Dante. So uh, you know. Just go. If you go look at the down the line, and you look at some resumes, and you're like, "Wait a minute, this guy went from being a, a GA to being, you know, oh like no, I'll, making three hundred grand a year." I'll throw a, <laughs> I'll throw a, one of my guys, a, one of former Arizona high school coach out there, uh, with Kenny Dillingham, the Auburn's uh, in name only offensive coordinator. He's, oh yeah, he's a young guy, really yep. young. How old is he? He's I, I seven years ago. He was the offensive coordinator for uh, Charlie Ragel, who is the special teams coach at Cal now. So I mean, he's he's got to be in his late twenties, maybe thirty. All right, Woody, how much uh, we 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 got to put you on the hot seat just just for a second? How okay. so? So being that we're talking about this re- recruiting, is there really money changing hands in football? Like the same way it is in basketball. There, there's money changing hands. I try to have like really plausible deniability when it comes to it. Like I don't, I don't. I mean, you hear rumors or whatever, but I, I don't like. I don't have the facts and figures I would need if I wanted to like write a book about it. You know. What I mean? <laughs> yeah. Now I know plenty of rumors and innuendo. The, the money that changes hands is nowhere near the figures in basketball that you see. Um, just because, and, and this is, this has kind of been discussed a lot with the name and likeness thing. You, there's too, there's, there's too much of a, of a bust factor. You just can't predict how a guy is going to be. So you can't spend a, you know, a hundred thousand dollars on a, on a player, not knowing what he's going to turn into. Now, if it's somebody like Trevor Lawrence or whoever, Adrian Peter, you know, that right. Adrian Peterson, uh, Jadavion Clowney or whoever I could see it, but from from what I gather, I mean, hitting six figures is extremely rare. And and like I said, I don't think a lot of guys. I think it's just like, hey, I'm going to have help your family get a job or move the town or or something like that. That that uh, 
isn't what ends up happening. So is this a thing? It feels that, like it'd be a lot. It feels like it'd be a lot harder to hide money nowadays too, because uh, people just can't stop themselves from posting things on Instagram or Snapchat or or whatever else that you know. Hey, all of a sudden, I'm I'm driving a, a, a like Chrysler 300, and I had a beater yesterday. Like that that kind of stuff. It just seems like that maybe helps stem some of the underground activities. Yeah, well, there's those, you know those prepaid uh, cards you can buy at the grocery store. I think that's how a lot of the exchange of currency goes down. And maybe like uh, I heard someone say casino chips as a way, but I, I don't know about I don't know. Oh wow, that well well okay. So so being a poker player is like Bellagio chips are good anywhere in the world, right? So. That now, now, now that I do know, like I've turned in a hundred dollar Bellagio chip at the Commerce Casino here in Los Angeles. So, it like they are good anywhere on on Earth. I don't know, it's the security or what, what, whatever. It it is good everywhere. It's like an Amex, buddy. All right, so that would make sense. I mean, I but like I said, I don't know, like. I, I don't know what happens. I mean, I, I hear rumors. I hear things. I, I, I mean, I'm a smart guy. If I, uh, I used to do, do, you know, some investigative stuff back in my younger days, I could, I could get to the bottom of things real quick if it were my job to do so. It but, is better to not know. Right. It is better to not, not know Woody. But, um, but, but I want to get, get back to the PAC 12 for a second. So can, can you tell us what schools like if like if you could kind of rank the the Pac-12 schools in terms of the recruiting and the buzz nationally or in the Pac-12 footprint or the ability to get five star guys, if you can give give us kind of the, the the tiers or something with that. Well, obviously, you know Oregon's been recruiting at an elite level, especially considering their history. Uh, you know, at least in our recruiting rankings. Um, so I would put them at the top right now. I do think Washington is a close second just because Seattle seems to be like on the rise in terms of having top end talent. Uh, I don't think the depth is there in some other cities, but it's like, you don't, you don't need the depth. If they get four decent players out of there every year, you know, that's, that's fine for them. And then I, I've noticed their ability to pull players. I saw a lot of buzz around, uh, uh, Nakua's game this past week uh, against Arizona. I know he played a lot and made some crazy plays. So he, he's a good guy. It's a perfect example. That was one of those late guys last year that they were able to beat out, you know, Utah and Oregon and a couple other schools for. And then, you know, this is this is with USC as an asterisk right now because their coaching instability is, is killing them in recruiting. If they hire a big name, they'll immediately be, you know, right back at the top of the list. But I also think Stanford, you know, I was watching uh, the Stanford game against Washington and the announcers were trying to make it seem like Stanford has got a bunch of walk-ons when Davis Mills is a five-star. It was like the number three player in the country. They're like, they're doing this with a backup quarterback against all these highly touted Washington players. It's like, <laughs> you, you know, you know, Stanford has two five-star tackles and a five-star quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, let's not make it seem like this is, this isn't 2006 Stanford. So I would put them in the top, in the top four, just because when Stanford comes calling, like it's really hard for the kids to pass up. They do, they do not, they don't view Stanford like, you know, Vanderbilt or Duke or something. When, when a kid from Texas, especially gets an offer from Stanford, it's like, I got to make sure I take a visit and they're probably going to be in the mix until the end. So 
And then after that, you can parse the rest of them out how you want. I know Arizona State's winning. I do think Herm has a, has more of appeal as a recruiter than we thought. I know they have a commit from Florida right now that a lot of people are, are really liking, and I, I think uh, they're going to be battling for him by the time it's all over. But after that, it's it's really tough to separate. It's really tough to separate the rest from me. Washington State just doesn't recruit like that. Um, you know, Cal does a nice job of developing guys. Arizona, I think, could be could be that, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't sense that they have like a truly high ceiling of where they're going to be signing. You know, 10, 15, four stars a year. So let's uh, stick on Arizona for a second because this podcast is basically. If it's anything, it's a Khalil Tate debate uh, <laughs> podcast. That's 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 our like Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, LeBron. Like that is just us. He's a running back. Khalil Tate, uh, and <laughs> he doesn't even run. So anyway, uh, the, <laughs> the whole losing exactly <laughs> yeah. a running back that won't yeah. run. That's why the uh, team doesn't win. <laughs> so. Just Kevin Sumlay, you 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 spent a lot of time watching his career develop. He in he, I mean he inherited his quarterback at at Houston, so I don't want to give him too much credit for recruiting, but I, I will say he won a lot, right? But then he goes to Texas A and M, and it's like the, it's almost like he can't keep a halfway decent relationship with any of these superstars that he brings into the mix, and then he shows up on University of Arizona's campus. The first thing he does is call Khalil Tate Khalil Mack in an interview. And then the all he's done since is anytime anybody asks him about Khalil Tate is deflect. It happened before the game last night. They said, you finally have a healthy Khalil Tate. How do you think he's going to do tonight? And he said, J.J. Taylor's healthy too. Like he is very, very obvious that this man does not like Khalil Tate, but he hadn't really gotten along with any of his quarterbacks in years. Do you, do you think it's possible for Kevin Sumlin – to capitalize on some of the great recruits he brings in by like his own personality, just not getting in the way. Well, what is his, you know, I don't understand what his fixation is with Noel Mazzoni. I mean, and I think that may be part of it because when Kevin Sumlin was having success with like quarterbacks, like, you know, Johnny Manziel, those are, those are, those are the kind of guys like Khalil Tate, but, but, Noel Mazzoni likes dudes like Josh Rosen and, and Grant Gannell, you know, and Nick Starkle. Those are right. his type. Noel Mazzoni cost him Tate Martell. So it's not just like Kenny Trill and 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 uh, uh, and Kyler Murray and Kyle Allen, who's 5-0 and in the NFL now, by the way. Like, it's not just those guys that – but it's – ah, man, I just – I can't wrap my head around what it is someone's doing. But he's got a six foot six dude. Noel Mazzoni just wants another Brock Osweiler. That's what he wants. And so he's got his six foot six dude, and I they they're going to bench him. They're going to bench Khalil Tate, and they're going to move forward in the future with a with a giant back there at quarterback throwing sixty times a game. I just don't know if you can win like that. I was surprised how good Gannell looked in that game he put. Was that the UCLA game he started? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but UCLA's defense is switched. Right. UCLA should have won. They're giving up forty. Yes, they should have. They're giving up forty points a game too. Yeah, well. <laughs> Who's that? Hey, George, who's their defensive coordinator? Uh, our, uh, Jerry Azanaro? Jerry, who, yeah, Azanaro. Linebackers. 
Uh, I, I assert my the, Fifth Amendment privilege. It's Don Pelham. I can't talk bad about Don because I, I, I love DP, but <laughs> but I mean, the, the team's not playing well on defense. Right. I mean, and this was the issue they had. You know, the, you know this was the issue Mark Helfrich had was sticking with, with Don Pelham for, for too long. And, and the Oregon's linebackers were terrible. I mean, I, I just think like you we talked about earlier you know i don't want to go from from arizona to ucla i just wonder why these coaches i understand they have friendships but i mean look at mark d'antonio instead of firing coaches he shuffled the whole staff around i mean that was insane and now it's and it still can't score right it's not working so the the coaches and, and this is honestly one of the things i felt like did butch jones in at tennessee was his refusal to hire like an offensive coordinator that was kind of viewed as like a threat to him so instead of hiring like a like a young hotshot or whatever, he hired um, Frank De, not Frank DeBoard, Mike DeBoard, uh, who was like this old guy who was retired. You know, I was like, "What are you doing? Why are you hiring this guy?" And it was like, "Oh well, I know he's not a threat." So some of these some of these coaches, you know, when the Pac-12 is having success, it's it's because they're you know thinking outside the box a little bit, and I think that was one of the things that we're seeing the teams with success or have success this year do. I mean, you know, Oregon went out and hired, you know, a young defensive coordinator from, from Boise state who's completely changed the culture there. Uh, even USC, you know, they reached, they went outside of the box and brought in an air raid guy, which is totally, you know, crazy considering USC's history of just being like a straight pro style team. So sometimes those gambles work out. Sometimes they don't, but I think that's better than being like, like Ralph said, I mean, you know, Noel Mazzoni has been looking for Brock Os- Osweiler and, He's been at four different schools. So, you know, that. I mean, everybody knows that the, the best way to get young, hungry coaches on your staff is just to be so miserable to the coaches that you have in place that they're looking for a promotion. And then anybody uh, who would be crazy enough to work for you is so young and so hungry that they are willing to take the abuse. That's the Todd Graham model. And I think it's the model everyone should use. <laughs> yeah, the Todd Graham model. Yeah, these coaches that might be. Mike Stoops model too, as well. Um, and maybe the Jim Levitt model back in the day, but yeah, these coaches who love to scream at it, those days are over. I'm sorry. These kids can't handle it. George can, can say he's got a teenage son. I mean, they just, they aren't built like that to be, to be, you know, nonstop screamed at like the dude on last chance. You, I mean, those days are just, they're just gone. There's just no other way to put it. Yeah. Oh, all right. So now we can get into our Pac-12 power rankings, Woody. You you are an East Coast guy. You are the you you are Mister Rivals Southeast recruiting analyst for Rivals and Yahoo Sports. He's got a podcast there as well. So you guys check him out at Rivals Woody on Twitter. And you know he he always has some very classy things to say. <laughs> so. So, so uh, from from afar, what are your Pac-12 power rankings? We and and how we usually do it, we usually give our uh, twelve through seven, and and then we'll go around twelve through seven, and then we go six through one. So you're you are our guest. We will let you go first, and and probably be be wrong, but it's okay. All right, I have UCLA last. Uh, no offense to the Bruins. <laughs> then I have Oregon State uh, at eleven, Colorado at ten. I have Washington State at nine, uh, Arizona at eight, and Cal at seven. All right, where where are you at, Ralph? 
Uh, Woody stole my thunder today. He's uh, we we've got pretty much the exact same order. Only like I was trying as hard as I could to make a 13th slot to stick UCLA in and just leave <laughs> leave 12 <laughs> blank for now because I hate you, Ralph. I hate you right uh, now. Your wife doesn't listen to this podcast, does she? Uh, sometimes, so, sometimes she does, and she wants to throw things at you, but she wants to throw things at UCLA yeah. more, so it's fine. Um, so what, uh, Woody Ralph said that UCLA would win, would only win one I game said that this year. Several they would go months, one I said it at Pac 12 Media Day. <laughs> yes, that they would go one in 11. I called him crazy, I called him every name in the book, and now I am just. I am. I'm hoping that the that the year finishes like the like last year finishes for them. That way, at least I can scrape up some, like I, I can at least get a little bit of pride out of this. But uh, I thought about taking them over like five point five before the year, so I'm right there with you. Yeah, do but they're technically they are still mathematically alive in the Pac-12 South. Oh. <laughs> 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 Oh, so I got UCLA at 12. I got Oregon State at 11. I have uh, Arizona at 10. Colorado at 9. I have Cal at 8. And Stanford at 7. And the and the reason why I have Cal so low, even though their defense is amazing, and they have one of the best defenses in the country, one of the most well well coached defenses in the country. The problem is, without Chase Garbers at quarterback, and with and with Monster in, this team can't score. They already were having tr- trouble scoring, but now they cannot score. So I, if you if you can't score, you can't be in the top in top anything. You know, when I was in high school, or when actually when I was in middle school, Justin Wilcox was in high school, like a rival high school in Oregon, and he was an amazing quarterback. So, like, and he went to Oregon as a quarterback. You you hear them say a lot of times on the broadcast, oh, he was a safety at Oregon. Well, he came in and was supposed to be like the the next dude at quarterback, and then he got beat out and got moved to defense. But what's the deal with that? Why can't they Garbers isn't that good either. You know what I mean? It's not like he's Joe Namath. <laughs> so, he had just turned a corner. Wait, wait, hold Woody. On, hold he on. just turned a corner. I, I, I would, I would say that if you look at Garber's stats and Joe Namath's stats, they're actually pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know poor Joe just gets killed. I saw during the, during the broadcast yesterday that two already has more touchdowns this season than he had in his entire career. Um, so, so yeah, maybe that's a bad example, but I, I do think, how long is he out for? What did he do? Did he break his collarbone or did he? Yeah. 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 It was his collarbone. Um, and they don't have, they, they don't have any other quarterbacks that they've recruited. I'm trying to remember who's. They have a true freshman. They have a, they got Spencer Brash. He's, he's a dual threat, but he's pretty skinny. And so, I mean, if they want to join Arizona state, in starting a broomstick freshman, they, they they can do that. But I mean, that's it's dangerous to throw a kid out there who's you know sub one seventy. Yeah, but one of these guys is not like the other though. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> we can talk. I wanted to talk about it. The Arizona State's quarterback is amazing. I if he were if he were anywhere else, it would be nonstop drooling over him because I mean he's got like, and I say this all the time. I went the other night and watched uh, T. Martin's son play. Uh, he's a quarterback in the class of 2022. He's got like the it factor. The best quarterbacks, the you know the guys I've seen in my life, 
that I've actually been right about, you know, Trevor Lawrence, you know, Justin Fields, Deshaun Watson, they have like, just like an, an unquantifiable quality. And Jaden Daniels has that to me when I watch them play. I mean, I know he's had a few games where he hasn't looked like it, but I mean, watching him play yesterday and I know Washington State's defense is, is you know, not great either, but the kid is like unshakable and he's like that as a freshman. I mean, he's the kind of guy that, you know, I think he's definitely an NFL quarterback and I think he's going to be, you know, having them, especially, you know, given USC situation. I think as long as he's there, they're going to be able to build around him for the next two or three years. I mean, he's got one interception and 176 pass attempts. And the other thing about him that George and I talk about all the time, he has no up or down. Like, I would pay 20% of my income for the rest of my life just to be as unflappable as him. And I've listened to enough of your podcast, Woody, that, you know, maybe you enjoy screaming at a dude who cuts you off in traffic, but I always end up feeling like garbage afterward. But, like, I'm, I mean, he's just like, he's just, he, he never expresses any highs or any lows he's just himself regardless of the situation and i think that's that unquantifiable thing is that he's just unshakable yeah it, and it, like i said anyone else you want to say is like deshaun watson was was always like that i mean he played on a team basically with no d1 players around him and i, I still i often make reference to it on twitter is uh there was somebody who worked for us at the time who was covering georgia he doesn't work here anymore and he told me that Deshaun Watson was a noodle arm. What? <laughs> so, yeah. I, I will, if you ever see me tweet, like, not bad for a noodle arm or something like that, it's always a subtweet of that dude who uh... – Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. The, the kid's got a, got a hose. So, uh, Woody, who is your okay, six to one? This is where it gets a, a little interesting. I have Stanford at six. And, by the way, you know uh, – Costello needs to hit the old transfer portal because Stanford is way better with Davis Mills playing. I'm sorry. I mean, do you guys agree with me on that? I've, I agree. I, I, I was higher on KJ coming into the season, but he just hasn't played played well, and the guys behind him have played better. It'd be even the third-string quarterback. I mean, so 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 you got Davis Mills who's played played better, and other kids yeah, play better too. I, I don't, I just don't see, I just don't. See, I I thought Costello was going to be a dude who might play his way into being like a first rounder coming into the year, and now it's like, like I said, he's going to be doing the Keller Chris route of hitting the portal if he doesn't uh, decide to go to the, the NFL because it's just, I just don't see. It. I know Davis Mills gets hurt every single game he plays, <laughs> but like uh, I don't know. Uh, so I have I have Stanford six. Then I have USC because I still think USC is good despite their record and everything, you know, the bad losses. The, the BYU loss is what really killed their season. Um, and then I have Washington fourth, and I still think they're going to give Oregon a good game. And I think depending on, you know, if if, uh, if Oregon decides to act like Andy Ludwig is calling the plays, <laughs> I think they they could lose that game. Oh, Lord. Uh, and speaking of Andy Ludwig, I have Utah third. Uh, I have Arizona State second, and I have uh, Oregon first. So, yeah, that's ooh, that's, giving some love to the pitchfork. Yeah, look, huh? look, I mean, it's hard to argue with them. They, they, you know, they're they're ranked in the top fifteen. They're winning games. You know, I still think they'll probably lose one or two more the rest of the way because that's just how it's going to go with a freshman quarterback. But. I don't know, man. I, I, I think they could easily, you know, Utah, it's not like Tyler Huntley, who's, who's a dude that I've known since he was probably like 14 or 15. 
you know, he's still inconsistent as a senior. And if Zach Moss gets hurt, Utah's just not the same. So you're, you're, you're bringing it up right now. So I, I know that we wanted to talk about this with you. How about Larry Scott? How about this Pac-12 network putting, putting Arizona State and Utah next Saturday on the Pac-12 network for a 3 p.m. kickoff? Uh, well, uh, you know, five, this is the first year I've had the Pac-12 network in HD, so I'm pretty, pretty stoked about that because. <laughs> oh my God! It, he was watching the standard def. It used to be in standard def, and the only way I could get it is in HD is if I watched it on my computer. So at least now I have it in HD. But I mean, wait, I get this, mad. At- wait, hold on. Does this happen to anybody else? Like you're watching Stanford play someone, and like. Stanford's in standard definition and the the other team is in high def. Is that just my TV? <laughs> no, that, 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 hasn't, that hasn't happened to me. Um, but, you know, the ACC network is going through somewhat of a similar struggle. I still don't, I, I can't, I have Comcast, which is the biggest provider down here in the South and I don't have it. And I have to bootleg the games every week. So, um, but yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, I don't know how far out they pick the games. And, and a lot of t- I was complaining about the, the Big 12 has been doing this, putting games on ESPN Plus. And, and uh, Rob, who works for us, my co-host on our podcast, his argument was, well, they're trying to get people to buy the thing. It's like, well, no one's getting the Pac-12 network at this point. We're 10 years in now. It's been a total, complete failure. Yeah, so, you know, so like I was even mad that that Arizona-Washington game kicked off at 11 Eastern. I could see 10 <laughs> or 10.30. Why did that game start so late? Like, what well, doesn't – it? Would, if, if anything, it was, in, it was in Arizona. It should have been at 10, not 11. Like, I, I don't I don't understand why games are kicking off that late. Uh, it, it, it's okay. bad for the conference. It just yeah. is. I'm telling you, I love college football, and I can't stay up till 2.30 to watch that game. Let me let me tell you how the game ended up on Pac-12 Network. It was decided last week. Last week, they knew that it was probably going to be a top 15 game. And here was the problem. So ESPN got first pick of games, and they chose Oregon-Washington, which, which, which makes sense, right? It's their, their marquee teams, all of that, right? So And then the Pac-12 Network got second pick. And they picked the and they picked this Arizona State Utah game instead of and mind you the Pac-12 network footprint is only like 17 million households versus which the game could have been on ESPN two it didn't even have to be a Pac-12 after dark game it, it could have been an ESPN two game which has an 80 million people footprint and it makes no sense like you're trying to give the conference visibility recruiting all of that like i i hate this i hated this even more than i hate playing games on fridays yeah playing games on fridays is a whole nother a whole nother rant of mine that that i'm i'm with you on that one but yeah this is dumb no one's gonna see it i mean the bottom line we're just talking about Jaden daniels and, and and everything like that nobody even knows he exists i guarantee if you went and asked even like knowledgeable sports writers Hey, who's the starting quarterback for Arizona State? Like beat writers of SEC teams would not know the answer to that question, and that's because they've probably never seen him play. I mean, really, it's and like I said, if he were anywhere else, a true freshman quarterback putting up those numbers for a top fifteen team would be a huge story. But it's just, it's just not. Oh, and there's just no imagine, way. imagine if cool. you trade cool. Jaden Daniels, Coast Brock Purdy, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. 
Do you know how much I hear about stupid uh, Iowa State constantly? Listen to a national podcast, and they will talk about Iowa State like like they're you know Auburn or something. I watch out for Iowa State. It's like they're three and two. I mean, what are we? You know, it's the the solid verbal, which is a show I love to listen to. They're like it's Brocktober. It's like Iowa State is an average team. <laughs> like, why are we dedicating we're, we're, for a quarterback on a on an average team? Why are we constantly talking about him? But if you look, go look at the top twenty-five. What other schools are starting a, a true freshman quarterback ahead of Arizona State? I don't. I don't know if it's there's. If oh, it's, oh no, it's Boise no, State. There, no, nope. There's there's a one. However, if you traded uh, Jaden Daniels for this dude, this team would be a top two team probably right now. And that is Bo Nix. If you traded Bo Nix, who's been playing terrible at Auburn, uh, aside from one drive against. Oregon and the Mississippi State game. Aside from that, he's been horrendous. If you traded Jaden Daniels for Bo Nix right right now, Auburn would win the SEC. Right, exactly. Yeah, especially man. especially in Gus Malzahn's uh, offense there. And I love Bo. You know, he's one of my guys that that I beat the drum on pretty heavily when when he was a recruit. But he's still learning his way. And like you said, I mean. So yeah, I guess you got Bonix and you got Bachmeyer and then Daniels in terms of the guys with these top seventeen schools or whatever. Um, but he, yeah, he's definitely better than 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 probably both of those guys. But nobody knows. I guarantee you, Bachmeyer has more like has a higher like Q rating than Jaden Daniels does because they played against Florida State because they played on national right, TV exactly. versus Florida State. Um, Okay, do uh, do uh, Woody? Do you have time to go through the games real uh, quick? I don't want to. Yeah, keep, I can go. Yeah, I can probably go like five, ten more minutes if we got time. Okay, so now let's hit the games in the Pac-12 from this from this week. The 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 big game. Well, one of the big games was on Friday Friday night. You had Oregon versus Colorado, and I, and I've been beating a drum all year that Oregon has to figure out how to run the football and to make sure that they are killing teams like you can't just like win games they have to dominate teams if they want to find a way to play themselves back into the college football playoff and they were absolutely outstanding what you what, what was your take on that game Woody well yeah no, they're they're amazing and I tell you what <laughs> I was very happy to not see uh Travis Dye come into the game until it was like a 40 point game or whatever I'm I just Oregon's insistence on uh, giving him the ball, like in key situations, I just don't understand. I don't, I don't, I, I try not to be too harsh about it, but I mean, as I'm watching the games, there are a few players that I'm like, you know, Tommy Stevens at Mississippi State is one of them. Watching him, play. he's not a quarterback, and watching, I just don't think Travis Dye is like an elite, you know, power five running back. He's a, he's a depth guy at best. So I like that. The problem is, uh, their running backs don't break tackles. Yes, I mean, see, Dave have, Verdell, if you if you touch him, he's going down. Right, and so that's one of the issues. And you know, I I know a few of the offensive linemen there at Oregon, and I talked to them off the record, and I I think they want to see that too. I just I think that's the one thing. Like, I have no problem with Oregon committing to being a power running team, and I know some of the games were super boring, and the fans were mad and stuff like that, and I I, I sort of agree with them. Uh, because you can't be a power running team if you don't have a back. The backs have to make guys miss because 
getting three or four yards every time is just not going to cut it. So I like that the way they've mixed in some of the other guys. I like to see Sean Dollars play some more. But and uh, Felix, I, I I like Darian Felix too. He's he's a guy who will put his foot foot in the ground and get up field. Right. So uh, I liked what I, I I was really impressed with them. The the line was like so fishy. They were f- favored and it kept going up and up. And I was like, man, they haven't scored. 21 points at all let alone beat someone by by that much uh you know in terms of power five teams but uh they rolled and and Pittman is awesome I mean that guy is a that guy's a talent that whole family I mean the the two Pittman brothers are going to be playing in the NFL for five or ten years uh so I I was really impressed with him you know Jawan Johnson finally played and had a ball just bounce right off of him and uh I I laughed pretty hard at that because a lot of the Penn State fans uh you know when he transferred were like enjoy you know him being super inconsistent catching the ball but he's a physical specimen so I think Oregon is actually at more full strength now than they were when the season started so they're they're kind of hitting their stride at the right time and, and Colorado I don't know what happened. What's going on with them? Mel Tucker's supposed to be a defensive guy. He needs time to get some more bodies in there, but they, they don't look like they're going in the right no, direction. Their defense was bad, dude. Like, like the, uh, like they, they don't have a ton of depth in there, and they were just. I mean, St- Stephen Mont- Montez got shut down. It was just, and, and their defense couldn't stop them. I mean, they couldn't stop the run, couldn't stop the pass. It, it was like watching UCLA play on defense. What was your take? How long do you think it's going to take Mel Tucker to get this turned around? And do you think he can recruit at a good level at Colorado? I actually think he can. And he's got a lot of connections down here. The thing about Mel was like, he was never like, he never really loved recruiting. You know, he was an NFL guy. So I wonder like, you know, how much did he learn from Saban and Kirby about you know, closing the deal and how important the, the head coach is to to being involved in the recruiting process. I do like their strategy right now. They're coming down here uh, and recruiting a lot of guys. I was going to take a look at their class and see exactly how many they have from from uh, out east. But he's he's well. One of his one of his first real tests is going to be this week. Brendan Rice decides between Arizona State and Colorado this week, I believe. Yeah, and I don't have a. You probably know better than me about which way. He's leaning, but uh, depends on the day. <laughs> he goes back and forth. If, if you go look, I mean, they're hitting the JUCOs. They're hitting. They've got some guys from Georgia. They got some guys from Louisiana. So I kind of like that approach. Um, I think they do need to get some JUCO guys in there. That I know they're they're recruiting Texas hard. And if you look at some of their best players on their team now, you know, Chenault and Katie Nixon. That was the past staff hitting Texas. So. I like the I like their strategy. I do think he's going to be able to turn it around. It's just going to be with guys that maybe like like Jake Ray. They have committed from from Marietta, Georgia. Okay, this was a, a guy uh, who was from Tennessee originally. His brother went to Ohio State, or he's on Ohio State. He was committed there, and he kind of like lost momentum. Some of these guys get a ton of offers when they're young. And then they kind of fall off the map. And he was kind of one of those guys. But still, you're talking about six, five, three hundred pounds. And like we talked about, those guys are, are not a dime a dozen out there. So you take a chance and say, look, a lot of these schools saw something in him to offer him early. We like what we see and maybe we can do it. So I, I think Mel's a good coach. And the, the one thing is, you know, how dedicated is he going to be to recruiting? But I think he can do a good job there. And I think they can get back to winning, you know, seven, eight games. Are they going to win national championships like maybe their fans somehow expected no i don't see that happening 
before you get out of here today, Woody, I, I want to so I, I want to go over USC just for a second, because in terms of the recruiting and in terms of the coaching, because obviously there's so much, you know, like him hawing about who's going to be the coach is going to be Clay Helton. Is it going to be Urban Meyer? Do you think that Urban Meyer would actually want the uh, job? And I think that people are actually discounting the other school at USC. I'm sorry, in L.A. Like, couldn't he walk across the street to go to UCLA, too? Yeah, I think he would. I I think he's more of a USC guy. I, I Honestly, Urban could go wherever he wants. And he, I mean, talk about being involved in recruiting. He's a dude who knows that that's the lifeblood. Um, I could see him, I could see him going to USC and I've kind of, you know, I've been along with the people hinting at it for a while. They would have to have the right infrastructure in terms of the AD. And I mean, I know that hire is going to be huge and the com- they would have to like make a serious commitment to upgrading some stuff there, you know, facility wise and probably budget wise when it comes to hiring coaches. But, uh, if they have the money, I could see it happening. Um, now it all comes down to does Urban want to coach and what about his health and all that stuff. But I mean, Urban Meyer at USC would be a scary side for the Pac-12 and I think probably the rest of the country because kids love him. I don't know what it is about him. He's they the Pie Piper, man. Play for him. Right, exactly. I mean, I've seen him. I've been places with, with kids at like registration or whatever with underclassmen. We're talking freshmen and sophomores. And they will FaceTime them from their phone and, and he'll answer and be right there on <laughs> FaceTime with the kid, you know, years in advance. See, dope, so, man. Uh, I, I see I mean, he recognizes the the strength and the power of that. So we're going to ask you about a couple kids out of the out of the Pac-12 footprint. So let, and not assuming that well, actually, we'll do where where the kid goes. And then maybe if Urban if Urban Meyer takes the you if if they fire Clay Helton and they give it to Urban Urban Meyer. So there's two guys in particular who are very high, highly rated that I wanted to ask you about first, which is Justin Flo and, and the amazing outside the inside linebacker from Upland, who's just r- ridiculous. And uh, Keely Ringo, the cornerback out of Arizona, where do you think that they are going? So I think the buzz has been that Flo is going to Clemson, but he hasn't committed yet, at least publicly. And I think the longer it goes, the probably the better it is for their other schools involved. But if he commits, I think even if Urban Meyer gets hired, I, I don't think he's changing his mind for some reason. Kids that commit to Clemson don't decommit. I mean, go look at their track record over the last four or five years. I think they've had like maybe a handful of decommitments and a lot of them. And I think they were all kids that were kind of like told to go elsewhere. Um, so if he commits, I think it's done. Now, Ringo, I don't know, man. I mean, he his mom is a flight attendant. So that's allowed him to take a lot of unofficial visits that some kids from the West coast don't end up making, um, you know, you'll see him. He's he popped up, but out here several times, the buzz has always been about Georgia, but I do wonder, you know, talk about a good weekend for Oregon to have him visit. Um, I think probably the conventional wisdom is that Thomas Graham and Lenore, if they keep playing like they are, will both probably go and test, try to go into the draft. Now, I don't know how high they'll go or anything like that, but I think he's a guy that they could say, look, you could step in right away and we're going to be, you're going to be on a top 10 defense. And that's something that Oregon's never been able to pitch before. Now, 
Georgia can offer a similar thing. I think they're going to have some guys leave early, and clearly they need help at DB. I mean, their best corner right now is a converted running back. So he's had that relationship with Georgia for a while, but I'm I'm starting to wonder, and maybe just maybe just me coming off of the Georgia loss and feeling, you know, less high on them as I was. But I don't know. I mean, there, there are not a lot of players who come from you know, Arizona or wherever and end up at Georgia. And uh, when it comes time to do it, and this is what I tell Oregon fans about when they got, when they have commits in Florida, when it comes time to get on the plane for good and really go and move that far, you know, it could change your mind. And Atlanta is one thing. Athens is another, it's not the same thing. Um, It's about an hour away. So we'll see when it comes down to it, but I would still give the edge to Georgia. I'll be curious to see what the buzz is coming off of that visit this weekend. How about Noah Sewell? Uh, Panay Sewell's brother, who is clearly, if he could come out in the draft right now, Oregon's left tackle, he would be a top 10 pick right now. He's just a sophomore, though. Oh, I know. I I made the mistake of tweeting that he would be a first rounder, and then I got a bunch of Oregon fans being like, he would be number one overall. It's like, all right, can you just take the compliment? Shut up. Calm down. I was so – I had blocking like 10 people over it. So I was like, I don't even want to ever hear from you again if this is your reaction to – first of all, I've known Panay since before he had his first offer. So if you want to get into like, well, actually, you know what I mean? Like, please, I would love to go over the history. Um have you ever, George, have you ever seen his dad? Uh, no, I've never seen his dad. Just a massive, and, and Ralph can tell you, you know, I'm a big dude. When every time I see his dad, his dad just swallows me whole, like gives me a hug and like picks me up. And it's like, like I'm a little rag doll or something, just a massive human being. So uh, and when it comes, but when it comes to Noah, now this is what I, I, I think this is a fact. I think George is in the lead there. Uh, coming off of that last visit. Now, I mean, I think there's a lot of belief in the family that he's an SEC linebacker, which I kind of agree with. But the question is, how how much does a successful season, you know, at Oregon by their defense kind of change that? And it's evolving every week. But I know coming off of that last visit to Georgia, they were kind of the leader in the clubhouse. Um the question is, how does it maintain as the year goes along? Especially, you know, if Georgia loses to Auburn or Florida or ends up going, you know, nine and three or something like that, you know, that may change the outlook for them on a lot of these elite level guys. But uh, I think it's right now, if I had to say it's a battle between Georgia and Oregon. And at this time in today's recruitment, it was a battle between Alabama and Oregon and Alabama had the lead. So um, I think it's going to come down to the end. It'll be interesting to see if they can win out. I, I remember when Panay was in, was in high school, there was some talk of like, okay, you're going to have to guarantee the get. Cause at the time, Noah was not viewed as like a future elite prospect. He was more like a three-star and I was like, okay, well you gotta, if you really want to wrap up, you know, Panay, you got to promise the younger brother a spot and you might have to take the, uh, uh, the older brother as a transfer from Nevada and uh, there were some coaches who balked at that, and it didn't end up happening. I think his brother's at Utah now or BYU. I can't remember where he transferred. But uh, anyway, so he went from being almost like a throw-in now to like this guy's a, <laughs> yeah. a five-star in his own right. So we'll see how it works out. I just hope for the sake of this podcast that those three dudes don't end up in Eugene together. Oh, why I, not? That would be the most amazing thing that ever happened, 
Hey, no, I, I would enjoy it as a spectator, but my goodness, we we talk enough about Oregon already. Yeah, George would be un, yeah, insufferable at that point. Oh, 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 and 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 I'm throwing in Daniel Nada too. I want I want him too. Where um, I think, this, are you making a Christmas? What's <laughs> yeah. I was trying to remember. I may I gotta make sure. Uh, I have to make sure I have to do my research on him real quick before I slip up and say something I'm not supposed to, because I feel like I saw something come through, you know, this may shock a lot of people out there, but we know where these guys are going before they commit (laughs) on a lot of them. So sometimes we'll get some internal communications that reflect on where they're going. And I thought I got an email about, uh, about Nada, but um, I just, I I got the, uh, I got the Falcons Cardinals game on in the background. Matt Bryant, who hasn't missed a field goal in like years, just missed an extra point to tie the game with two minutes left. Yeah, <laughs> so classic. I had to, so Atlanta. I, I had to audibly react. They're, they're they're because they saw your tweet, George. They're, they think that Sewell might be able to come out this year. They're trying to get him. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I don't know what's up with Nada. Looks like is Arizona State leading there, Ralph? Is that what you're hearing? Uh, yeah, I, I have been hearing that. Yeah. I, I have been here in the Arizona just because his buddy uh, Omar Norman Lot just committed. Okay. All right. Well, boys, I got to go. I got the meatloaf. Yeah. But, you know, I do the cooking around here, so uh, so I hope I got. I hope I gave you enough. Yeah. yeah I got, yeah, the, yeah. I got yeah. the meatloaf. I got some uh, some acorn squash going. It's fall here oh, in the oh, south. Ac- so. Acorn a- acorn squash. That, that that's so great. I'm growing some of that now. I I got this thing called a a lettuce grow. One of those hydro hydroponic plant things that you can grow at, at home. So we have a garden at home now. So I'm excited. Yeah, I, uh, acorn squash, great producer, and you can take the seeds and 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 regrow them right there. Uh, so you, George, if you keep doing this, I got to start a gardening podcast. Okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> It'll be called Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> hey, now, hey, now, I, I got I got an office full of jalapenos and peppers. I want to. Okay, that. cool. Uh, well, you, People always forget I grew up in Oregon until I tell them, A, my name is Woody, and my middle name is Mohandas after Gandhi. And number two, I grow plants uh, out of garbage in my house. So I got pineapples, I got avocado trees, I got all that stuff that uh, I grow from waste. So still a little bit of that, that hippiness uh, in me despite me being gone now. Uh, okay, um, what what the hell is the name of that movie where, uh, where he got lost on Mars, where he got stuck on Mars, and he had to grow it out of waste there you go the yeah. potatoes yeah yeah the yeah, Martian. Martian. yeah. yeah. no I, I would be on that level if i were single who knows what it would look like around here but uh you know i'd probably be living on a farm <laughs> oh, that's cool. well, well appreciate it woody <laughs> all right man hey enjoy enjoy the meatloaf all right, all right guys i appreciate it i'll talk to you soon dude ralph woody was absolutely great dude he gave us some great yeah he gave us some great information and so let's finish up the, these uh games so the we'll uh we already covered the oregon colorado game but the usc notre dame game what was your take on that honestly like um uh it, it started out the way that i thought it would just uh, absolute dominance by by notre dame's defense um, USC kind of was able to move the ball a little bit, but they couldn't capitalize in the red zone. And then as Keaton Slovis started to see things a little more clearly, and as Notre Dame, who doesn't really have that killer instinct, kind of started to put the brakes on, you saw that accuracy. And uh, and they were able to move the ball and, um, 
at the same time, you know, USC's fan base is so fed up. So if I even, I know that if I even say one positive thing, I mean, it'll be an absolute nightmare for me in my, in my mentions and in my DMs. And so, I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with the party line here, say disappointing loss for the Trojans, even though they lost by less than I thought they would. And they have a chance to win the Pac-12 South, a good chance in my, in my estimation. I agree with you there, except for I thought they were going to win. I mean, because they they have it's so frustrating because they have the talent to win. They have the talent to win. It is just like I mean, they're they're like Sisyphus who continues to push the rock up up the hill. Then once once they get up there, they beat Utah and then they let it roll back over them when they when they go to to Washington. Then they go to Notre Dame, lose again. I mean, it is. It, it's terrible, man. It I, Like, the conference, I would agree with everybody, the conference needs USC to be, be good. Like, they don't need them to win the conference, but they need them to be a top 15 team. It matters. And it's just so bad, man. And they're, um, like, so Keaton, Keaton Slovis, I think that he is for sure the guy now. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he's got to start winning. You know, he, he's, he, he needs to win. These performances are all well and good, but no, they're not going to accept him unless he's having these performances in wins. This is the school where, well, he, you know, he Liner went 37 and two and Slovis already has two losses. So if he's going to be the next great USC quarterback, he's got to, you know, he's got to get going. So I'm, I'm what yeah. What are going to do? Play, play, play nose tackle too and linebacker? Yeah. Okay. They gave he, up he 308 rushing yards. And they scored three points in the first half, so it's on the offense too. If you're if you're going to crown him, then he needs to wear that crown. Okay, that 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 was that that was so sensible. I don't even have a reply to it. But uh, I, I'm on Saint Saint Brown. I think he had his first game leading the Trojans in re- receiving. But Notre Dame they did a good job of keeping Pittman and Vaughn's down. They literally just dropped everybody back and tried to stop the run with 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 five people in the box sometimes six and they were very successful at it they were like you are not going to throw the ball over our head to these big wideouts and it did not happen so i i mean i don't know man if, if usc can't run the football i don't i don't think that they can win i think that they're going to be struggling in the pac-12 south but when you look at the pac-12 south standings though the all the top teams are two and one or one and two so everybody still has it has a shot yeah, I mean, I I, st- I still like them, but I still like the talent that they have. They got the win over Utah. I think that they have a good enough chance uh, to to get this done. So, I mean, I don't know what to. I I it, we're gonna watch it play out. Their schedule gets a little bit easier, and the funny thing is gonna be how many USC fans are pissed off to be winning these. Oh, games. for sure. I'm, I'm yeah, but I think that the book is already closed on on Clay. On Clay Helton, though, I I don't believe that he is that there's any way that he is a that he is the next quarter. I'm sorry that he continues as coach. I mean, he needed if he had beat Notre Dame and beat UCLA, then yeah, but yeah, I think I think it's over now. Um, the next game up, I was very surprised at the score in this game. It was 21-0 in the first quarter. Utah went up to Corvallis and stomped a mud hole i mean they bludgeoned uh oregon state 
I mean, in Oregon State have been a team like like when you look at them statistically, they can't they're still, even after this game, fourth in the conference in rushing. They are uh seventh in the conference in passing, and they got nothing versus Utah. I mean, absolutely nothing. I mean, it was a one-sided affair. Utah just like took over the game and they were like, listen, anybody who thinks who thought that we don't have a chance in the Pac-12 South, forget about it. Yeah, I saw a pretty funny tweet that I can't stop thinking about. It It made me laugh really hard. And it was that uh, that Utah was was going in and doing it for Gary Anderson. Like, that was their – that was the Gary Anderson <laughs> revenge game. I mean, Gary Anderson's at Utah State now. He's back being there. The, the head, he was happy being their head coach. So he took the Wisconsin job, didn't get along with anybody. Took the Oregon State job, didn't get along with anybody. Then he, he went back to Utah for like a third time for a year before going back to Utah State. But I just – I got a really good laugh about that, that it would, that there somehow was the motivation from Utah uh, to go out there and run the ball over Oregon State was in the name of their three-time associate head coach, <laughs> Gary Anderson. Yeah. And Zach, Zach Moss only carried the ball five times but managed to have 121 yards and two touchdowns in five carries, dude. And that's – I mean, <laughs> that just shows you, like, what a pro Whittingham is. Just, like, we got what we needed out of him. He's on the bench. Like, let's worry about Arizona State. Yeah, because he is coming back from or uh, from injury, and the last thing that you want is to him to, to get hurt. But I do want to give props to Isaiah Hodge, Hodgins, though. I mean, even though his team was getting beat, bludgeoned even he still found found a way when he's their guy to get eight receptions 77 yards against a really good defense and not great quarterback play either so i want to give him props for that here's my question to you this week uh and i i i'm going to enjoy this response take isaiah hodgins put him at usc is he the number one two three or four receiver Ooh. Ah, see, it's it's hard to put him above Pittman or or Vaughn because they're so big that they can do special things with jump balls and all of this stuff that a lot of other guys can't can't do. Uh, so so I would guess I'd be fighting with Amon Saint Amon Ross Saint Brown, but I think that he's the best out of all of them though. But I think that positionally, the way they match up, they both can play the slot. They both can play out outside. I don't know, man. I might, I might have to take Hodgins, man. I, I, I might. I mean, I think Hodgins got pulled out of this game too because I think I remember checking at halftime. He had seven for seventy, yeah, and he finished with eight catches for seventy-seven yards. So I mean, he was on pace to do some serious damage, at least yardage. Yeah, you got six in one one hand, half a dozen in the in the other. There's no way to lose that matchup. But I still, I mean, Tyler Hundley only threw the ball seventeen times, fourteen com- completions. I, I said I wasn't going to doubt the Utah offense again until it's time to doubt him, and I'm still I still just find so much trouble in believing in his offense very much. Um, but now we can move on to the to the team that you beat the drum for, especially on defense, is Arizona State. When we put together the list of secondaries that you would take, you chose uh, uh, Arizona State. Cal and Arizona State, yep. a close second, and they got absolutely 
They got hit up to the tune of 466 yards and three touchdowns by Anthony Gordon. What say you now, Ralph Amsden? I say that that's, what, nine, ten yards a catch? I'm not that worried about it. He dropped back 64 times. The defensive line touched Anthony Gordon, I think, on the last throw of the game. Was the first time that he he got touched when they were trying to throw a Hail Mary. It's 466 so, yards, Ralph. When when uh when uh when uh they play Cal, ain't no 466 yards happening. When okay. they when they play Cal, it's gonna be like he'll finish with like 280, no touchdowns. All right, and so I'll throw this back out at you because the the cornerback that they picked on all day was Jack Jones. Jack Jones was playing a couple yards off of uh, his receiver. Um, I want to say his name was Aesop something. Give me a second. Yeah, yeah. He, so yes, Aesop. Yeah, I mean, I should know his name. He caught fourteen balls yesterday. Um, but yeah. So anyway, Jack Jones was playing a little bit off of him, and it and he was just getting hit over and over again with these little slants, right? Well, Jack Jones had ten solo tackles. You know how hard it is for a cornerback to 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 bring the receiver down on his own every single time. So yeah, there's a negative, but with that, you also get a positive. And Jack Jones yesterday had five pass deflections. Here's why that's important. It's the most by any single player in any single college football game all year. That means so they've been throwing at you all damn game. Yeah, but the, the, and, and that you're getting there. Like that they're testing and the rules are designed for you to lose in college football. I, I all day yesterday I watched Arizona fan uh, state fans tweet about how garbage the secondary was all game long. They were tweeting about how garbage the secondary was, and I'm looking at it like, all right, Anthony Gordon has no pass rush. He's able to do whatever he wants, and yet he's dinking and dunking five yards here, eight yards here, eleven yards here. And in the red zone, it didn't end up always being good enough. Like they they came out hot right away, but it it wasn't what it seemed. Anybody who knows anything about football will tell you that an elite quarterback is out there throwing eight to nine yards per attempt. He had 460 yards on 64 attempts. That's about average. That's about average per attempt. He had uh, of his 20 incompletions, I think 10 were deflected. So Arizona State cornerbacks were out there going to work. Kobe Williams was doing it with one bum hand. He only had two fingers sticking out of a cast. Chase Lucas didn't give up anything all day. And they, they picked on the safeties a little bit. But when they went after Z- uh, Jack Jones, he would make the tackle immediately. Or he'd deflect it. Going into yesterday, the, the person that was leading in deflections, I think, goes to Tulsa. And they had 11. He had five all by himself, so I'm I'm not that mad about it. Washington State's tough. This is what they're going to do, and I, I knew that you were going to come in, so th- this is my battle strategy is just to pick it apart. I, I don't think that Arizona State had as bad of a day in the secondary as, the, as just listing the yardage would indicate. Now, they are not very yeah, good at it, leaving turnovers. This is, so this is a team. I mean, they, they don't sack the quarterback. They don't sack the quarterback. They're not a, a, I w- Here's what I do need to say. Here's my mea culpa. They are not on Oregon's okay, level. Okay, okay. I, I said that I they can, were, that and they're not. Now. So, uh, yeah. Oh, I'll give you that, okay, but I do not okay. think they had a bad but, and Oh, but, in, you know, Benjamin had a good game, 19 carries, 137 yards. And uh, and uh, Brandon, uh, how do you say his name? Ayuk? 
Ayuk. Ayuk. Seven seven for one ninety six and three three touchdowns. Is are we going to see this more of this, or or was this a yeah he, a, an anomaly? No, he's the uh, he, he's the, uh, some people are calling him Brandon Ayak. I call him the Yak Master. It's just about getting the ball in his hands and seeing what he can do with it. He is freaky fast. He was having cramps and the flu yesterday, and he's still. I mean, he had an eighty-six yard reception that was just. A so he had a Jordan flu though. game, and so he, yeah, basically, basically, he made he 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 made the entire defense <laughs> sick, and he was sick. And I mean, he, he he's a tough guy to deal with, and it really helps for a young guy like Jaden Daniels to have somebody that can make a play after. Uh, the catch, and it just definitely puts a lot of relief on this offensive line from having to do too much. I mean, they're still so young. Uh, I just want to caution people on this Arizona State team. They're five and one. They got a quarterback who has permanent ice in his veins, but they are still a very young work in progress. Oh yeah, of a oh yeah. This, this, this Washington is Washington a... State. Washington State's just bad. They're everything that Mike Leach said that they were, and Mike Leach is that too. <laughs> so Arizona State is five and one, but they could just as easily be 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 two and four though too. I mean, just I think yeah, I mean, that's life under her. <laughs> well, well, I mean, if if he can continue to do it, more more power to him. But this is a team that's clear, clearly going to a bowl game and potentially uh, a Pac twelve a Pac-12 championship if they can hold off Utah. Um, so the the last game up of the day, probably the most frustrating team to watch in the Pac-12 to me, it's not Washington. It's the Arizona Amstens. It is, it is uh, Ralph's Khalil Tate, who is just so, I mean, it, it like burns my, boils my blood at times to watch them play because – I thought they quit in this air in this Washington game, particularly in the fourth quarter. Khalil Tate seemed disinterested at times. I mean, uh, he doesn't look like a he looks like a running back playing quarter quarterback. Quarterbacks climb in the pocket. He's always running backwards. Then he's throwing the ball with his left hand out of bounds. Just just ch- like he gives up on the play when it has to go to the side. He doesn't want to run. I, I I don't understand, Ralph. Tell me what is going on with the man that you cover, that you love, that you talk about, and who is costing me a a a Pac-12 Apostles Pick'em Championship, uh, Khalil Tate. <laughs> yeah, I, here's here's the thing. Um, I knew yesterday was going to go bad. Uh, Arizona just doesn't match. It was them being four and one was fool's gold. They didn't match up with Washington very well. They're going to lose a lot of their upcoming games as well. Um, and I told you he'd get benched, and what happened? He got benched. Uh, <laughs> I, I tell you what, in the first half, we were living my nightmare, though, because Jacob Eason was playing poorly, Khalil Tate was playing poorly, and Arizona was winning, I think, at one point. And I was like, wow, this is this makes me look like the dumbest man on the planet. Um Jacob Eason, uh, he, he did what he did yesterday. That Arizona defense is not very deep. They finally figured out that you have to throw on these defensive backs. They're really young. Um, and then Khalil Tate, I mean, if you want me to speak on that, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's a bad marriage. It's a bad marriage. It's like uh, Britney Spears and Jason Alexander, that 55-hour Las Vegas romp. Uh, I don't know what else to say, George. It's These two units do not belong 
together. And they're just biding time to where they can have Grant Gannell in there and run the offense that they want to run. And in my mind, I'm like, why not just do it? And it sucks that Khalil Tate played in his fifth game because now he can't transfer. And we and we and we talked about that. That would have been the optimal move for him. He finished this game 13 for 25. Yes, we have to give credit to Washington's offense. I'm sorry, to Washington's defense. But he seemed uh, like disinterested at times. Like he has no desire to run. He does I mean, not. And, I, and, so that, and you keep calling him a running back. And I just, he doesn't even like running all that much. He doesn't like contact. He is, someone pointed that out on Twitter yesterday. And I can't stop thinking about it. He is contact averse. So like you could call designed runs for him, but like, He's not going to be the guy to get 17 yards and die. He's not Tebow, right? Um, he's just yeah. very, very, very fast. The other thing about him is he's got Jamarcus Russell's arm. So we can call him a running back all we want. But, but he he's not run. accurate, Ralph. You you gave me Some his stats. Some quarterbacks are not. Some quarterbacks are not accurate. I did. I texted you what his NCAA stats would be. <laughs> yeah. You said he would have what? Um, 99 Ralph- for an arm. 74 for accuracy, 95 for speed, and like a 44 for awareness. <laughs> yeah, that's not a quarterback if your awareness is a 44 and your accuracy is a 74. I guess. I mean, I then again, like he's also you you are the sum of what you do. You can't tell me he's also not the guy who plays against college. he's one week off a 400 yard passing performance. Oh god. It's really Dude. easy to forget what it you was do, Colorado. Not, not everybody does that to Colorado, though. Oh Lord! Okay. Not everybody okay. does. He, he here's the thing. He is not in the right place. He could be a decent enough quarterback at a place that could. Call he doesn't want to. You just said he really doesn't want to do it. But if you call it, he's gotta. If it's not an option, if it's just a designed run. And you're so convinced he's a running back, then get him on the move. But this uh, this this offense doesn't want him running at all. This offense knows that he can't just drop back in the pocket and chill. And they're not for some reason. They should just call the offense that they're going to use with Grant Gannell there and run bubble after bubble after bubble after bubble. That's a true Noel Mazzoni offense is to just bubble screen you to death until they can hit you on a post. That's what you're going to get with Grant Gannell. They should just run it now. No option stuff. Just bubble, 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 bubble deep over and over and over again. You don't have to be super accurate to run that. So you think they're going to start him next I game? I think they Because it, it, it looked like that it, that it ended. It, it, it looked like it ended against Washington. I, at this point, it's like pointless. Like, should they? No. No. He, his, time, his time in Arizona should be over. I don't know what they'd have to do for him to be in a better situation, fake an injury or what, but like, no, I told, I've told you, I've been ringing this. I like Khalil Tate. I think he's got a fantastic skill set. He does some things that are incredibly entertaining to me. He is a world-class athlete. He can throw the ball as far as uncle Rico. This isn't the offense for him. And this isn't the, definitely not the head coach for him. Head coach. It's very clear. Does not like having him around. And so it just should just, don't stay together for the kids. Get divorced. Move on. Right? Just <laughs> yeah. go. It, it, he should have transferred. Uh, he should have transferred. They should, or they should have just said, like, Grant's our starter. And they should have, that should have been the writing on the wall. But I think they got intoxicated with the idea that they're winning a couple of games here and there. They think they might compete for the South. 
and they're foolish if they think yep. that. They're too young. They're not talented enough at the positions that you need to be talented at. They can't stop anyone defensively. I just I'm super frustrated because this could have been a this could have been a year where we really got to see what they were going to be or or they could just have showcased Khalil Tate and lived with his mistakes. Yeah. That's the other thing. If you're going to yeah, hold see, him, don't play. See, him. I thought that if Arizona had been two and three coming into this game instead of four, four and one, that they would have that they would have just done done the right thing. But they were under a delusion that they were going to win the Pac-12 South, which is not going to happen. Um, now, on the other side of the ball, you you have Washington, who piled up twenty four points in the fourth quarter. But I'll tell you, I am still not impressed with this team. Like, I'm still not impressed with with with, with Jacob Eason. He made a couple good throws, but he, Arizona's defense is still not great so like i i will see what i will judge jacob eason even more after this oregon game because oregon is only giving up eight points a game they i mean which i don't think is sustainable throughout an entire season that would that would be unreal um something i mean maybe maybe dude like my could be that good my mind can't can't conceive like the fact that somebody only gives up eight points a game in the Pac-12 after, I mean, like that would be, yeah. like my mind won't understand it. So Eason, and this is why this is this is why you schedule Auburn so that you can go out there and you even if you win or lose, they at least make you better. It doesn't make you better to lose to Wyoming. It doesn't make you better to lose to Colorado State. Going up against Auburn, like you're not going to experience that physicality from anybody else. You're going to get better prepared. Like Oregon. Had it right, win or lose in that game, they won because they moved into Pac-12 yeah. play ready to go, and more teams. Yeah, and they win. are running over. I mean, they are just bludgeoning people, like just and and uh, so. But J- Jacob Eason, he did not look good against Stanford. He didn't look great against USC, and he damn sure didn't look good against Cal. So and and you know these are some of the better defenses in the Pac-12. He feasts on like he bum slays. He he does good against he has fantastic games against bad defenses against Eastern Washington Hawaii um, and Ari- and Arizona he shows out but but uh, you put Stanford or Cal in front of him it's a whole different it's a whole different ball game buddy yeah and I think sometimes you need some weapons around you and I think they're a little bit less talented at receiver than they've been in recent years and definitely at running back so he you're, he's in a situation where it's got to be on all on him. But I mean, if I'm gonna say, you know, that whole crown comment about Keaton Slovis, I gotta say it about Eason. As so well. do you? So so I like, mind you, I do think he's an upgrade from Browning, and I do think that they're wide wide receivers like Fuller, even Bryant. Sometimes that these dudes turn down contact and they drop balls, especially Fuller when he thinks he's gonna get get hit. He gets those alligator arms popping. But they they may have found something with uh, Puka Nuka. Nukua. Yeah. 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 With Puka Nukua. They may have found something there, but I mean, like this is, this is clearly a good football team, but it's not as great as people thought it was going to be in the preseason. Yeah. I'm almost, I think maybe you'll find out more about this team having, knowing that they lost twice and that they have to, um, and that everything from here is just to make sure that they grow as a team. They're not worried about national championships or anything like that. Uh, so they might actually be in a little bit better position. And they played a bad first half yesterday. And, and you know, it, they really made it sound like at halftime, Eason grew up a little bit. 
and you'd like him for him to be grown up regardless, but you also like to take the fact that like adversity would bring that out of somebody. And so maybe, maybe that was a turning point. I mean, we're going to find out real quick, right? Like next yep. week is serious. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it, they definitely look like a completely different team in the second half. Okay. And the, the, uh, Oh, the last thing that we did not finish, um, is our pack 12 power rankings. So we, so, uh, I'll, I'll go through mine real quick. I have UCLA at 12. Oregon State at 11, Arizona at 10, Colorado at 9, Cal at 8, even though I love Cal. They're they're just not good on offense without without Garbers. Um Stanford at 7, Washington State at 6, USC at 5, Washington at 4, ASU at 3, Utah at 2, Oregon at 1. Okay, so my my back half mirrored Woody um and I just and honestly, like there's not that much different in the in the front half either, except that I do have USC ahead of – so I have Stanford at six, and I have USC ahead of them. Stanford's done a couple of really nice things, but, I mean, we, we've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about, about their deficiencies. And the funny thing is, you know, Woody was talking about them having Davis Mills and maybe K.J. Costello should transfer. They're both good quarterbacks, but if David Shaw had his way – He'd have no quarterbacks and like 13 fullbacks. So it's actually like a headache for David Shaw to have more than one NFL level quarterback on his team, I think. Um, but I, so, uh, and then, and then he, he had Arizona State all the way up at number two. I do not currently uh, hold that to be true. I got uh, Washington at four. I moved them up from, I think, five last week. Arizona State at three, but there's a big gap between three and two for me at this point. Um, and that number two is, is is Utah, and I'm basing that pretty much off of what they've shown so far. They're just the more mature, dependable team, uh, whereas Arizona State has a ton more upside. Uh, and then number one, far and away right now, is Oregon. They're doing everything right. Um, we can nitpick and say there's certain things that they could be doing better, but that's looking ahead to to you know college football playoff or bowl game level. If we're just talking about what it takes to win the Pac-12, they've got everything they need right now. Yeah, and the I totally agree with you there. Uh, the the last thing though, Ralph, I I was thinking about this, and I meant to mention this to Woody. I meant to mention it to Woody, and because everybody's talking about USC's head coaching situation, whether Clay Helton is going to be be fired, whether they can get Urban Meyer, all this, but wouldn't it have all just been solved had they just hired Ed Orgeron to begin with? The success he's having at, at LSU, the coordinators he brought in, wouldn't that have been the smartest move? But they didn't like, but he didn't fit the USC style. He wasn't clean cut and pretty enough, so they didn't hire him. I don't know. Would would Ed Orgeron have had the success that he's had, or is he in the perfect place for him now? So that's you know, it, sometimes it's just about fit. You know, I talk a lot about Khalil Tate and and Arizona. I believe Khalil Tate would be better off elsewhere. I believe that Arizona would be better off with with Grant Gannell. And so, I mean, in the same way that I think that it kind of worked out for Ed Orgeron, um, and and I, I think that. You know, USC had a shot at Sarkeesian. He's a hell of a recruiter. Um, you know, I, I can't, who knows what USC would look like had his personal demons not overtaken him. Um, you know, there's nothing, I, there, I, even if I've ever made light of it in the, 
in the past it wouldn't necessarily be from you know the, the actions but just simply the the fallout from it you know that that was a really serious situation and i'm sure that it all went down you know in, in a way that was not ideal for everybody and that if sarkeesian could go back he would have had control over his life and still been at the helm and so um, it, it's easy to go back and say, well, you know, Ed would have been good because he's doing good at LSU. But I mean, it also helps to have Joe Burrows. You know, it also helps to 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 be where they're at and to have his kind of personalities perfect for the area and to have you know those those resources. Um, it'll be interesting to see whatever USC's next step is because I think probably the biggest error for them wasn't necessarily in keeping Clay Helton as as the the head coach when all that went down. You know, they, they kind of did what it would take to keep the locker room together and the players happy. Um, but it was in having somebody who is, uh, you know, a, a schmoozer and not taking the job seriously at the athletic director um, position. I think that was their biggest issue. So when they get an AD in place and they make the next decision, and, and I think that Clay Helton at some point is going to have to recognize that it'd probably be best for everybody to move on and not, you know, just uh, he's doing the job that he can do in, in the time that he has. I don't think he's selling anybody short. He is who he is. It's not like he's cheating. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. So I have nothing bad to say about Clay Hill because I believe he's doing – yeah, I think he's doing this to the best of his capabilities. I just think that the demand uh, for competence at USC is much higher than what they currently have in place. Um, and I think if given the opportunity, if, if Coach O came available, I don't think that they would hire him even now because I don't necessarily think he'd be the best fit for what they have going on right there. Uh, he does, they don't. They want somebody that looks the part. That is that is the problem. But um, we want to thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. You guys already know. If you guys want to hit us up, send it to I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your energy. Make sure that you share the podcast with a friend. Thanks a lot. Peace out. Catch you guys on Thursday.